Juliana Sassano is the manager of Quest Bookshop at the headquarters of the Theosophical Society in America, located in Wheaton, Illinois. She is also a yoga instructor and a teacher of mysticism. We talk about the journey of Quest Bookshop over the last few years as a business and about the Theosophical Society and her journey with the organization. Here's my conversation with Juliana. I was a singer, so I can handle this. Oh, nice. <laughs> was? Why was? <laughs> well, I used to be actively singing and recording and not, not any longer. Oh. Is that because you moved to different interests? Well, I became a mom and... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a huge interest. Yeah. <laughs> and I just became a father. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so you know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard trying to pursue things that don't really support my family financially and trying to navigate that. I'm like, what? It's my purpose. I need to live my purpose. And then like oh, geez. figuring we, out. We, we could talk about that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go there. Like, so you were singing. So I was in a band. Um, when was I'm, this? So I'm originally from Argentina, and I came to the U.S. in 2007, and uh, I came associated with the Theosophical Society. Okay, here uh, in Chicago land. Right, because the society is an, an international organization. So I have been a member for many, many years and then lived in India for a little while, for almost two years within the international headquarters of the organization. And then I moved to Whedon. And one of my co-workers here was a writer, a musician, and singer-songwriter. And he heard me singing and he's like, do you sing? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to sing in a choir and I had a little short-lived band back in Argentina. So we started a band and then transformed into other things, into other bands. So we had a, one, two or three bands. And the wow. last one was called Into the Real. We had a lot of fun. My friend was incredibly creative. Mm -hmm. He unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So it was a fun time of my life. Very, very fun. How old were you? I was in my early 30s. Yeah. So now I'm in my early 40s. How old is your kid now? She's eight. Wow. You made it eight years. <laughs> I survived it. Yes. For eight yeah. years. And it gets so much easier, like from the first few years. Yeah. Where they are completely dependent on you. And the moment you go to bed and you don't have to brush someone else's teeth and your own. <laughs> <laughs> what, what age was that? Like three? No. <laughs> well, it depends on, you know, the family, but yeah. that's probably much later. Wow. Yeah, that's five probably even. 
six, That's I would say. Wild. You have to keep checking on them. Yeah. What, what were some of the difficulties you had being a mother, like in that beginning? I, yeah, I think that being quite independent and purpose-driven, like mm-hmm. my life, purpose, work, and your life takes a completely different shape. You exist for another being, and then you exist. So mm. it's like you are there for another. It's a lesson on unselfishness. The struggle is that it's just to, for me, was to work and not feel guilty about working and mm. then spending as much time as I could with her. I was blessed because I could take her to work with me. Mm. So you you were working and raising a child at the same time. Yeah. Were you working at the bookstore then? So then I was working in the other building. So it was more in the administrative part of the Theosophical Society. It was doing graphic design and publicity. So they gave me a nice room where I could keep her with me. And that was yeah. heaven to some extent, of course. You know, you, the, the, <laughs> you can, it's, a, it's a, you know, a version of heaven. Yeah. Uh, Work takes a completely different dimension. Mm. It's not the same. Yeah. But it was it was great. So then the position of management in the bookstore opened up, and I took it as I am. <laughs> why, why did you choose the management position? Well, it's not that I chose it. In, so it, it became available. Mm-hmm. And I think I was seeking the challenge of, the many avenues that that position could give me, like not only the graphic design and the publicity that I could apply from my previous position, but I could also explore all the, you've seen all the items we sell in the store, Mm -hmm. crystals, incense, candles. The management itself, uh, which is a very interesting experience. Mm So you're the one who's choosing what goes in the store and you're pretty much running the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll, I I do have um, an assistant with whom I work very closely. Mm-hmm. But the first few years I was pretty much on my own with staff, just standing customers. But yeah, all the purchases, yeah. the um, process of bringing that into the store, pricing, receiving. Let's come back to the store. First, let's address the Theosophical Society, which Mm. is really what is the umbrella of this bookstore. Exactly. Right? Yes. So what what is the Theosophical Society? Mm. And well, I guess, how did you even come upon this Theosophical Society? It seems like you're really passionate about it. So the Theosophical Society is an international organization that is a spiritual non-for-profit, but it's not a religion. So it gathers people of different religious traditions, uh, belief systems, or with no belief system, to explore religion, philosophy, and science equally, and find through that uh, a way of uh, a spiritual life that can eventually become a transformation, yeah. self-transformation. So the purpose of the Theosophical Society is to bring about transformation in people? Right. So in a way, it has the function that the religious traditions wanted to have. 
but without the dogma and the fixed creed. So there is nothing you need to believe in to mm -hmm. be a member of the Theosophical Society. The only thing you need to accept is our first object, which is an object of forming a nucleus of humanity without any distinction. So Forming a nucleus of humanity without distinction. So the, the original uh, object was written in 1875. What do you mean by object? So it's like a mission. Okay. The society has three objects, was formed under those three objects. In that time, there wasn't such thing as a mission. Mm. And so the first object is to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood, which at the time, you know, the word brotherhood yeah. was used, but it, yeah, it's brotherhood and sisterhood, of course, mm -hmm. without distinction of race, creed, color, etc. So no matter who you are, where you come from, the color of your skin, your belief system, the idea is that we want to form a brotherhood and sisterhood where we can live together and celebrate our differences and our diversity and enrich our lives because of our diversity. Hmm. And this was unthinkable in 1875. So the Theosophical Society has had an impact at many levels. One of the major interests was to bring the knowledge of the East to the West and to integrate science and religion that at the time were completely separated. There were people who believed religion was the thing and the truth mm -hmm. and not science and vice versa. So the society tried to bring the ideas of, hey, let's work together. Let's see what are what we have in common, what can we explore together? But especially like, for example, concepts like karma, reincarnation, and those concepts were brought by this movement that later on invited you know, the presence of other like teachers began to come to the West, teachers from the East. Oh, you mean it was brought to the West by the Theosophical Society? Mm -hmm. That's cool. What's your connection with it? So I was, my father was a member of the society in, back in Argentina, and I grew up with, there was a youth group at the time, and I had the, the opportunity to participate in this open-minded inquiries about, you know, different religious traditions or theosophy is a word that we use to describe a divine wisdom. Theosophy comes from the Greek word theos and sophia, which is divine wisdom. So this divine wisdom that is across the board from all these traditions underneath this structure that human beings create, you know, culturally or sometimes to control. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to do with the original teachings. So theosophy seeks that original teaching that you find in the mystical traditions, in the esoteric schools that were kept a little bit more protected from the masses, but it's always there. So, for example, I learned my, my dad taught me to, to pray and to meditate. And even though Argentina is a very Christian country, I used to like attend mass, for example, and because I wanted. And I was able to, with, with a little bit of the theosophical background, I was able to appreciate the things that resonated like true 
in that environment and then just let go of the things that I felt were just conditioning or just dogma or mm -hmm. I think I was quite blessed to have that open structure within a, a Christian, very strong Christian tradition. Yeah. What was the youth group like? Yeah, so the 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 places where you attend are very much like a house. So they don't have a feeling of a temple. Mm. So you go there and we when we were younger we would do we would have someone who would guide us and a person who was older in this case it was my dad mm -hmm. and so he would do exercises for us we would go for walks and he would say try to perceive and notice see what you can see what you can hear so he started with those like uh, very simple exercises with just awareness mm -hmm. and and then we would read, um, we would, at the very beginning, we would just talk about things that were important at that age. They were like what? Like the nature of relationships. I remember sometimes addressing drugs or alcohol, but with a very open mind to see, okay, what happens when we do this? Mm -hmm. What are we seeking this? Yeah. What is it that we seek? And then we would read some texts as we got older we would read and just comment and give our opinion about what we thought about that. So it's very discussional. Yeah. So we would sit around a table and we would read all together. So one person would read and then we'll just read a paragraph and then comment about it, what we have to say about that, yeah. how we felt about that. And you know, How old were you? I started when my dad says sitting on a chair and my feet didn't touch the floor. So <laughs> I was probably pretty young. But then that was an unusual kind of setting for us in that city. It wasn't like the norm across the board of the mm. country, but that was a very special group of people. So maybe I was like nine, but then when I began to understand and I was probably 12 at that age, I decided to become vegetarian, for example. So it was like I, I began to connect a little bit more and chose to go to Mass and, and sit there because I felt something within me very, very special. Yeah. So you were 12 and you decided to be vegetarian. What was the thought process behind that? Yeah. So as part of the, of the reflection and the inquiry on the Eastern traditions, we began to explore Ahimsa, the this idea of nonviolence and no harm toward any living being. Mm -hmm. So then exploring that, you begin, begin to realize, you know, what it means to kill another being for sustenance or, um, and what are the options? You know, how can you live a balanced life and still do the least amount of harm possible? Mm -hmm. Nobody told me that I had to do it. My, that was a choice and an exploration and on its own. At 12? <laughs> yes. That's wild. Don't you think that's crazy? <laughs> well, that's such a deep decision to make as a 12-year-old. It's possible. Well, I have to say I was influenced by my dad and my brothers who became vegetarian. Mm. My, my dad was vegetarian. My brothers became vegetarian. So I started looking at it and I said, hmm. There is something in this. So yeah. I said, I'm going to try and see what happens. 
And I'm very glad I did because it was so much easier for me to stop eating meat at the time. Mm. You know, once you create the habit of eating meat, it's very, very hard to do yeah. that. But what I want to say is that the people I met at that time and the friends I made from the moment, you know, from the moment I was 12 until I was 25 are still the closest people in my life. Mm. And the experiences I lived at the time with them, we would get together two or three times a year in one of the houses of the Theosophical Society or in one of the, in our national center that was in the mountains. And we will do these retreats and bring our own books or guidance and select certain quotes and then do a retreat from morning to night. So we had to cook together and then explore some subject and do some practice. Those were the best moments of my life and there still are. What do you think made that special? Was it just a universal timing and moment? It's just those group of people, it just happened to be the right formula of creating this amazing period of time of connection and growth. I think that in part, yes. Yeah. Who was leading all, all of that to happen? Your father? No, actually, when we became older, the group, organize itself because it just had an energy of itself yeah. yeah we felt that we didn't want any adult to tell us what you know, mm. to think in which direction to go and we had the freedom the absolute freedom and support to do that we had the older you know the elders saying yeah go no adults were involved it was just the kids just creating whatever they wanted in these retreats and we had older kids they were 18 to 20 who were mm. That's amazing. Yes, it was. And and I have to say, I think we were all, or the core group were sincere seekers. Even that at, at that young age, we yeah. were looking for, to connect with spirit and to understand what that meant in, yeah. as a direct experience. That moves me. And then why did you go to India? Uh, so we have the society as being a nonprofit, we, we have, a president, and we have a president in each country for each section, and then we have an international president who is both, uh, it's an administrative position, but it's also kind of a leader in the sense of, okay, I'll share my understanding with you, take it or leave it, but this is, so it gives a certain direction. And the person who was the international president came to Argentina, and I was her interpreter during her talks. And when she left, there was a scholarship for someone to go to India for a couple of years or for the time that they wanted, but there was a scholarship to volunteer and work there. Mm -hmm. And I decided to go. At the time I was with a partner and we went together. I went first and then he joined me. And it was an experience like living in India is, is a, changes you. How? The um, contrast between poverty and extravagant richness. <laughs> You'll have like a five-star hotel right next to very, very poor living or, or shops or the innocence of the people. Well, at least that I experienced at the time, I felt that in general, children were a lot more innocent and people that you would talk to was some purity about the way they would communicate. And, um, 
I was living very simply. So some things thing fell. Um, you just begin to appreciate other things. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Then I just think it's strange that there's a theosophical society in Wheaton, which is like the Bible <laughs> belt of <laughs> Chicago suburbs. Yes, you know? absolutely. And, and you know why? Because in 1926, when this was built, mm-hmm. this national center was built, nothing was here. This was just pure land. Hmm. And it happened that with time, a community, a Christian community formed around it. Interesting. Yes. And we don't have any, we don't have problems anymore, but a long time ago, these, you know, Christians communities make, would pray for us. (laughs) Of course, because you guys are going to hell. (laughs) Yes. And... And also some kids, I mean, the teenagers would be terrified of, terrified of us and oh, really? come to campus on at night and think that this was, you know, the witches. Yeah. <laughs> place. I don't yeah. Know. So, yeah, but it's, it's ironic, isn't it? Yeah, it's so ironic. <laughs> I mean, I understand because I grew up in the mindset of, of a hardcore Christian. Mm-hmm. And then somehow I was able to come out of that reality, which I I feel so blessed that I was able to do that. I I feel like it's really hard to jump realities, to jump a paradigm. And like thinking about how a mass, like a majority of people is saying, hey, you guys are witches. You guys are doing bad stuff. Like it's of the devil. It's, It's evil. And... You know, standing your ground, holding fort here. I feel like that's that's amazing. I don't know if that's how it played out, but that's how I'm imagining <laughs> it in my in my head. Yeah, and you you mentioned paradigms and how hard it is to shift, but I think it's it's also important to recognize that we always live under a paradigm, mm-hmm. and we are always conditioned by it. Yeah. So to live with that uh, in the back of your mind, to know that whatever you believe will shape you in some way. So choose it wisely or become very conscious of it so it doesn't shape you in, in unconscious ways or subconscious ways. Even as a theosophist, you know, if, if I could call myself that, you also create a, a belief system. Mm-hmm. It's not imposed by the external world, but it's in a way imposed by yourself. Yeah. So then something that helped me a lot was to read and, and practice from different traditions. So then you have a direct experience of what it means mm-hmm. and what it is. And then with time, you know, I will recognize I can say I'm as much I, I'm as much of a Christian as I am a Buddhist as I am a Hindu. And with time, you see, you you begin to connect with with what's underneath mm-hmm. those labels. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, we are all conditioned by something. Yeah, yeah. There's this guy I was listening to. He talks about some weird stuff like the nine dimensions of life and things like that. Really deep, weird stuff. But anyway, he just talks about how what he says is not 
the truth or the whole truth. It's just a sliver. Like, and that makes sense. Like everything, like the Bible, like every fucking thing that we expose ourselves to regarding spirituality or science it's just such a small sliver mm. it's never the complete truth and realizing that and it, sometimes it's overwhelming though just the infiniteness of truth you know the founder of the the spiritual founder of the theosophical society wrote this huge book that is called the secret doctrine mm -hmm. and in that that book is a It's very complex and it has elements of different traditions and it shows kind of this theosophy I was talking about at deep levels. And when you see one of the things she said was like, this is just, I mean, this is a very complex treatise. And she said, this is just the very tip of the veil being lifted. Mm -hmm. Like there's like a, a reality we have even no, no yeah. idea. But... I think we can have a glimpse of that even by contemplating the fact that we are so small in in such an immense universe. You know, we can have a daily doses of that when we wake up in the morning and think, hey, there is so much more out there that I have no idea about. And I still have to make a living today. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and cook. Yeah. Yeah. So living with those in the small but in the big as well there's a beautiful book that says live in the eternal so the idea is that how can we live you know in the day-to-day -day where you have to do the most mundane things but it kind of like in the back of your awareness just have this sense of this is eternal mm -hmm. you're eternal life is eternal there is You know, even the sense of time is just an illusion. Yeah. I feel like whoever's listening to this turned it off 30 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I came here to talk about business. So what do you want to know about business? Well, first thought that comes to mind is how does the Theosophical Society keep afloat? Like, where does the money come from so it's a member organization mm -hmm. so that that's part of it we offer programs so member as in you pay to be a member yes like so what's the fee what? uh it's i think it's 60 per year and how many people in the society oh well in, internationally yeah i don't know well i guess so like, let's, let's here, talk local level what members pay locally funds the local Society is that how it works? In 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 general, yes. The, the national center is a lot more expensive that we can afford locally. Yeah. So we are sustained by donations. Okay. Generous donations, and then also the programs that we offer. So the national center offers lectures and classes and workshops constantly, uh, first on site and after the pandemic also online. And how much are these classes? They're not expensive. We try to keep them very affordable. So they're probably, you know, around $60, $50, depending on the program, the length of the classes. And how many people usually show up to those? Oh, we have an average of 50 to 100. You know, oh, wow. 50. Well, when it's online, we oh, have okay. 
Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. We have a nice amount of people coming then, to our programs. Does that fund the bookstore or is the bookstore self-sustaining? So the bookstore self-sustains. Okay. Yes. So through the bookstore started around like more than 50 years ago and it began just selling certain books. Uh, we also have a publishing house. So we, we sold the books off the publishing house through the bookstore. Mm. And then it became more of a, okay, let's offer books from other traditions as well. And, and then let's offer crystals and candles and incense and malas and yeah and what we call ritual items you know items that are used in different traditions yeah pillows meditation supplies yoga etc yeah that evolution were, were you the one responsible for that or was that already in existence that was already in existence when i came i came eight years ago and i made my own changes and additions to the store like but, what well we Remove some of the one of the aisles. We added more crystals. Um, what was we, your thinking behind removing the aisle and adding the crystals? So when with the pandemic, we needed more spacious feeling in the store, but also there was a greater need for crystals. People were looking for crystals, and especially younger people. So because we bring very high quality crystals and. That's something we've been providing the area for a long time. I decided that was something we could explore more. And so we brought two center displays and great variety of crystals to have constantly and offering different ones every once in a while. So what what constitutes as high quality crystals? How do you know? Well, you have to have a trustworthy vendor. You have to establish a relationship with someone you know that the crystals are going to sell you they're not fake or they are they're also grades some crystals are so 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 pure and beautiful that they are used on jewelry mm-hmm. and others are like just a little bit of that crystal in something else yeah so from that you have a certain level of quality and then if you find a good vendor you find quality crystals when you made that decision, were people coming in and you just couldn't provide all the crystals for the demand? How did you know there was a demand for crystals? We had a there was a wave of teenagers and younger people walking into the store every day, and they were looking for crystals. It was just an amazing change. And has that stopped, Increased. or is it? There are teenagers constantly coming in for crystals still. So then school started and then um, it slowed down quite a bit, but we still see the the interest. There's younger people are interested in seeking something that is not uh, organized religion. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it's a new trend that you're noticing. Yeah, it is a new trend. And it has its pros and its cons. For the for the kids themselves or for the young adults, that this is you know beyond the the store. I'm just sure. thinking in terms of humanity or the human being. And what I find is like when you belong to a tradition, there is a lineage, there is yeah. some type of knowledge that was tested by generations, let's say. And when you want to be free from any any tradition, then you're on your own. And it's good to be on your own, but 
you may also lose some of the wisdom of those generations of people exploring a certain direction. So you kind of have to be careful because then it becomes something very, um, I don't even know how to put it, but too loose and too self-created. And so I think a balance between those two is ideal, especially if you can be with like-minded people who can support you or someone you who's wiser and older that you can trust so they can guide you a little. Let's talk about the looseness thing. Um, do you know much about the Aquarian age? A little bit. I might be butchering <laughs> the concept here. <laughs> but the the idea that Aquarian age is when people start individually figuring out the truth, like their individual truth and whatever you're saying it kind of resonates with that philosophy that thought mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it's tricky because it's cool that they're passionate and they're seeking but then there's so many people out there touting that they're right it's like how do you sift through all that it's like reinventing the wheel almost when the wheel is already there i agree with you yeah if I resonate with those words. And I think, you know, when we're younger, we think we know. And then after 10 years, we look back and say, I, I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> so in a way, I think that that self-seeking is, is kind of immature in a way. Mm-hmm. It has its value. But it has to, be, has to remain very aware of the fact that the wheel is, has been here for a long time. Yeah. And that spirituality is not seeking comfort, but seeking truth. Mm -hmm. Say that one more time. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's worth saying again. Yeah, spirituality is not seeking comfort, but seeking truth. In this modern age, that's really hard, right? Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Whatever. <laughs> Wait, so with the bookstore, mm. how's business? Mm. It's better than it's ever been. Even through the pandemic? No, the pandemic was hard. So we, the store has, seen, has been increasing sales for the last 10 years. Every year we do better. We wow. Can, we, it's just slightly better. We, yeah. we, we, well, were barely make, we were barely making enough to self-sustain the store. You know, bookstores, when bookstores were closing, we were still open. And initially when I came, we were partially sustained by a fund. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to remove that support and self-sustain just with sales. And so be able to pay all the employees and have no profit. Mm. But then, what year was this? And this was 2014, 15. And then slowly things, uh, we, we start to expand a little bit more in, in terms of customers. Well, what do you mean? You expanded like the inventory, which brought in different kinds of customers? Mm. Well, yeah, in part, yes. So with time, we saw a greater amount of customers coming in and we supplied more items. 
And like it happened with the crystals, you know, with some other items as well, just trying to offer, especially you know, contemporary books that are relevant to spirituality and other items as well. And then slowly we, and also social media helped a lot because in the past it was hard to reach people. Mm -hmm. It had to be through the print magazines that were kind of around the subject that we're in which were like one or two maybe. <laughs> and now, we, and then with social media, things changed radically. Mm -hmm. So we were able to reach out a lot more. And that helped a lot, I think. And so eventually we, we didn't need the fund. And then we started to have a little bit of a profit. And then... What's a little bit? Um, Is it okay <laughs> to, to talk about numbers? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I, I don't exactly remember but probably like ten thousand dollars a year okay. so it was like nothing for a store that is yeah. open seven days a week yeah and that's after paying employees mm -hmm. got it yeah so then during the, the the pandemic came and of course we had to close we didn't have a presence on a, a website or a shopping cart and it's hard to shop these things from home because these are things you want to come, experience, touch, see, mm -hmm. except for books, of course. But then, so we did the curbside, the pickup for people who wanted to who buy the regular incense or the sage that they always buy. And mm -hmm. so we became available to them. And when the store reopened after the pandemic, we saw this surge of, of younger people mm. seeking and that has helped yeah. sales. And we'll see what, what we come up with this <laughs> at the end of this fiscal year. Well, what's your plan this year? Like, what are any changes or are you just kind of keeping it the way it is now? So we, we always dream, but for now we're working on, we will be working on a shopping cart Online. Uh, yeah, so this this store can sell through our website, through the website of the Theosophical Society, so we can offer. So not specifically Quest, this bookstore, but the society as a whole. Well, yes, but we are the only part of the society that sells something, so. Oh, really? Like, uh, are we talking nationally or internationally? Or just, cent just locally here oh, locally at the here. National Center. So. Oh, got it. So yeah, we we offer programs, uh, but then you know as, as items, we we the publishing house will be selling the books from the publishing house, and we will be selling items from the store. Yeah, and so that's a project we we're just starting. Yeah, and then you know when it comes to the store, we we will be increasing the the crystals a little bit more and. The dream is to have some type of a coffee shop within the store, even yeah. if it's small. But dude, I was just telling my partner Laura, we came here. I told you last a few days ago. Oh yeah. And I was thinking, dude, they need a coffee shop. Do they need a place where people can come? Yeah, and sit and down. sit down and hang out. Yeah, and just you be, know, be in that vibe because it's such a nice vibe, isn't it? It's a great vibe, and I think having it be like a center where people are communing yeah you know like she was even saying like what if it like i guess you guys do yoga or something so, so i don't know well we have all our programs in the other building yeah 
So we have a huge auditorium where we, yeah, we offer classes. Oh, okay. And you, we have a library. It's a beautiful library that was built at that time. So it's mm-hmm. just gorgeous and it has a beautiful feeling as well. So the that's the space where we welcome people in yeah. big groups. I see. But the store will be nice for the store to have a certain open area where people can hang out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. What what's what's the holdup with the coffee shop idea? We have Starbucks across the street. Um yeah, but people don't really want to hang out at Starbucks. That's true. They want to hang out at Quest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I agree. I agree. I spent the other day a couple, yeah, I mean, not, no, it wasn't like, it probably was half an hour and over there at Starbucks and it was really bad. It's very annoying to sit there. So it's mostly space. We would have to knock a wall and have an open area so it's kind of a big project mm. and at the same time permits requirements yeah you know for ho- coffee shop is a completely different animal regulation yeah yes yeah but not impossible doable yeah. very doable there's a beautiful bookstore in geneva the city mm-hmm. and i won't remember the name but they have a little cute coffee shop inside and so I can talk to them, learn from them, yeah. and see how we so, can make that happen here. So if you guys start a coffee shop, you would be heading the whole project? Yes, <laughs> probably. <laughs> That's cool. Probably with the help of a team, but it would be, yeah, we we wear many hats here. Yeah. I, it sounds like you have to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As much as I'm, you know, the manager of the store, I'm part of certain committees and groups of you know, decision-making groups. And uh, I also teach. What so do you, you teach? do a lot. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga instructor. When, that's one of the things. But I mostly teach spirituality in the form of mysticism from different traditions, mm-hmm. theosophy, or what has been called a contemporary version of theosophy. That's awesome. Who does the social media? Of the Theosophical Society or the bookstore? The bookstore. I do. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. I I see the focus on the crystals on the Uh, social media. It all makes sense now. It's because that's what people are interested in. Yeah. Yes. Recently, I had the help of of a new person. Mary is helping with with social media, but mostly it's been me. Yeah. Yeah. All the graphic design. and That's cool. Yeah. How, how does the society get the word out that the society exists? We use email marketing yeah. and social media mostly. Okay. Do you, do you know if there are new members joining regularly? There are always new members joining. And after the pandemic, it was a huge expansion for us because being online, we were able to reach out to people who would never be able to come to the National Center. Mm. So it was huge for us. We, and from time to time, we, have, we host great teachers from different traditions. In 2011, we hosted an event with the Dalai Lama in Chicago. That was in person and on site, but mm-hmm. smaller teachers and speakers, not as yeah. huge as the Dalai Lama. And then the 
the society gets to be known because we we remain quite hi- hidden in spite of the the beauty of the organization. Yeah, it's it's like a yeah, it's so hidden. I remember seeing Quest and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like theosophical. I I remember the word the- theosophy only because um, I was listening to someone talk about Rudolf Steiner. Oh yeah, and um, he was a theosophist. Yeah, yeah. I was like, huh, that's interesting. I'll bet you that bookstore is interesting. And finally. I, I came in and when we, I, I've seen some of the photos you take, or, you know, if you take the photos or others take photos, do you take the photos? What photos? Uh, I saw your Instagram, the muse. Uh, oh, that music. Instagram? That's old. Yeah, I, t- I take the photos. You take the photos. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to say, after this conversation, I'm going to sit with you and I want your feedback on, this, on several things. Oh, let's talk about it now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, feedback on what? So I've only seen your Facebook. Uh, do you guys have Instagram? Yeah. Okay. I sh- hold on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, I've tried. What kind of feedback do you want? Well, how do you perceive it? Uh, what would you improve? Like I try to, you know, it's on and off. Like when you do everything, then you yeah, have to part your time you. and see, you know. I feel you. I'm going to, am I, am I going to post this photo that doesn't really look very professional well yes if someone else was going to do it and take it off my plate that's okay but i don't think professional photos really matter mm. i think what matters is capturing the essence and a message that brings value mm. to whoever comes through your your profile because for me it's all about value like you can always put deep quotes or that's uh, that's what I noticed on the Facebook. It's just mm. like, oh, we have a sale. We have a sale. You know, it's yes. versus like, mm-hmm. you know, come here for to be nourished in some way. And then after a while, oh, we have a sale. Yes. the um, I agree with you. And we've done that yeah. in the past. Yeah. But then when when things fall through, through the cracks, then you begin to post what's essential. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. But, I feel you. 100%. But we have, like, if you could scroll down, there was a section in which... Are you on Instagram? I know. I was, uh, was oh, on yeah, Facebook. Oh, yeah, quotes. Yeah, we had a... We did some videos. That was a short-lived experience. Yeah. I like It's to, just time-consuming. and Yes, it's yeah. very time-consuming. Then the... I like the pile books idea because it gives you a variety of like, hey, there's some interesting titles. Mm. I like that myself as a reader. Yeah. Crystals, you know, to be honest, I am not particularly driven by crystals or the use of them. Yeah. But I, I know a lot of people see the value on it, so we try to support them. But then, yeah, it's been a while now that I'm scrolling down. It's been a while that, that I posted the quotes but there was a time where i was posting quotes from here we go it's uh july july of last year quotes from theosophical books you know sometimes we can offer we tell people about the programs that we offer Mm -hmm. yeah i I think i think that's great how do you choose the books in the store i trust certain publishing houses to start with i really like you know when you trust and um the editor of a or the editors of a or the head of a publishing house, like sounds true, then you know the material they're gonna offer is good, hmm. is of value. 
Yeah. And there's always books that are on the surface of things and books that are a little bit deeper. Yeah. And so we try to keep as much as we can both ends or everything in between. Because sometimes we come from the surface and then we go a little deeper. Yeah, that's right. And so sometimes it's hit or miss. You know, we purchase books and then I look at them when they arrive and then we see. And if they sell, it's because there is an interest in them. Yeah, so you're paying attention to what's selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... But then, you know, you kind of had to be open to what's new. Mm-hmm. We created this section that is called Global Awakening. So it's all on environmental studies and racial issues, LGBT, uh, books on veganism, feminism, etc. So that was, uh, that was a good addition. Yeah. Oh, people are actually buying those books? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Huh. Um. I was thinking, you know what would be cool is yeah. the stones. I'm looking at one where it says Moldavite pendants. Mm-hmm. It would be cool to put in like what is why why Moldavite is good for you or like what it does for your life. Like going a little bit in depth. Not like you don't have to go too deep if you want to go really deep. Cause like people read on the Instagram posts. So like Moldavite, it heals the soul, whatever the hell, like right. whatever Moldavite does. And then with- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the thing is that, the pro- yeah, it, you're right. Because that, that's value and people who already have it can be like, oh, like grateful that that information is there. And then with the book, maybe even like a video of like whatever you're reading or employees or like people in the society are reading that's in the bookstore. And them just saying like a minute, like maybe even just reading yeah. a quote from the book that really touched them yeah, would be cool. Yes, that that idea I, I like very much and I had in mind sharing something of value from a book. Yeah. So you become interested and say, hey, I want to read that. Yeah. Uh, about the crystals, you know, there is metaphysical meanings of the crystals. Like, you know, with this crystal, you may have this type of energy or cultivate this in your life. I personally have a resistance to that. Why? I feel that there is, it's like a clutch. It's like you you believe a crystal is going to make all this magic happen in your life. And that could be an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I know there is a balance between those worlds. Yeah. Oh, you know? crutch. You don't oh, want to... Yes, cr- a crutch, yes. So you don't want people to rely on the crystals to solve all their problems is what you're saying. Right. Or yeah. to think that the crystal is going to cause all these things. Like negative or positive. Yeah. Yeah. Especially positive, but, but negative too. Yeah. Because in a certain way, I feel like I don't want to lie to you. Yeah, <laughs> This yeah. is not going to yeah. cause all this. I mean, there's a lot of a process involved, like intention. Yeah. You can do all this without a crystal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I keep that in mind also while I do the posts. and Yeah. I, I think the way to, I mean, there's got to be some truth to the power of stones. So maybe like sticking to, like just touch on it, not go too deep. Maybe, maybe that'll make you feel right about it. Because yeah. I, I feel you, like we're not here to try to convince people like this is going to fix all your problems. 
Yes. Like I think of it as tools. I have you ever read the Paramahansa Yogananda autobiography? I know I know of the book and I have seen the cover many, many times, <laughs> but I never read it. There's a part where Yogananda, his his guru, was telling him, Hey, what do you think about bangles and charms and stuff like mm. that? And Yogananda's like, Oh, we don't need that. Like whatever mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and then the guru said something that stuck to me this to this day it's like you know when you get to a certain level like you know this it's meaningless right but these are great tools for, like that for people like in the beginning and that's uh how i think about it yeah i agree and i you you know i use an image for example what image it's a female image of something that was called at a certain time the world mother so mm -hmm. it's a female entity oh how do you it's use the image like what what does it so, do for you so there's this teaching that says that if you look at the meditation practices from different traditions you'll see that they all seek to bring you to the highest possible level of consciousness that you can and then stay there um we're all different. So sometimes for some people, the highest love of consciousness has to do with an idea or with a word. And for others, it could be an image because it evokes a certain feeling within you of reverence or uh, sacredness and etc. devotion. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, sometimes the devotees keep images of their teachers because it evokes this loving feeling within. And then you just hold on to that and sustain that hmm. in your silent practice. So an image sometimes can evoke. But in the same way, if you believe in crystals, then that the crystal has that that you're seeking in a way. Yeah. Because the, you know, the image or the word or the idea that we use is just a tool for yeah. what we're actually really seeking. I like that. Huh. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to use you. that. I, I didn't think about like evoking the, those feelings and holding on to that. That resonates with me. Yeah. Cool.